Hello there. Welcome to my publication, Princess and the Pea, Survivor Edition, where we talk about healing from trauma, life's sometimes seemingly impossible tests, and how all these challenges impact our relationships with others. Thanks for being here. My name is Faith Christine Bergevin. You can call me Faith. On today's podcast, we're discussing men and women and the confusing dynamic sometimes referred to as the battle of the sexes. We explore what may be the defining problem between men and women being able to relate to each other, especially when the woman has trauma in her past. It can also apply to men, but since this is me sharing my story, it is from a woman's perspective. We also discuss the barriers to expressing emotions in a healthy way and what can help promote healing in a couple. And that may surprise you. So listen on. What makes you safe? Men, women, and the impact of patriarchy. I've dated a few men since my sexual assault a few years ago, and I've learned I still have healing to do. So does society and men who date women. I say a few to stress this is not a large sample. Let's say I've been extremely hesitant when dating since I seemingly threw caution to the wind when I dated casually and somehow ended up with a violent man. But this post is not about taking all the responsibility for what happened to me, as it seems people so often want to blame the woman. Why did she date him? Why did she act like that? Why was she dressed like that? These are still questions posed of women about their assaults, as if the woman's negligence or provocative actions made it happen to her. She must have caused it somehow. Because men are fine. Society insists on it. Men highlight it so as to not associate themselves with any hint of violence. There's a tacit agreement that it's only a few bad apples who hide in bushes and attack unsuspecting women who have the audacity to walk alone at night. Those are the bad guys. But the rest? They are a-okay, upstanding guys. Men are not fine. Okay, I won't generalize. A lot of men are not fine. I feel pressure to say hashtag not all men so I don't lose my male readers, but stick with me, guys. I say all this with love in my heart. I love being in the presence of men. I enjoy men, their energy, their strength, their playfulness, their desire to help women and the children entrusted to them. Men have many wonderful qualities, so to be clear, this is not a post blaming men either. Instead, I am blaming the patriarchal structures that have hurt both women and men. The men I dated, the men who still need work. Here are some of the comments I received when I told them what happened to me. Did you say no? Did you see him after? Did you see any red flags? And my personal favorite, wherever did you meet this guy? Uh, the same place I met you? Do you see a theme here? All these questions point to my own flaws and limitations at perceiving, assessing, choosing, not speaking. Not at the man who was violent. It's almost as if I drove out to a sketchy part of town, walked into a dark alley, saw a man living there holding a sign over his head that said rapist and went right to him. Yeah, okay, I'll take this violent man. Ridiculous, right? How is it my fault that I ended up with a violent man? And why is no one saying, I'm so sorry, what an asshole. Why are there such terrible men? Actually, one man did. 
my oldest friend, who also happens to be my ex-husband, who I finally told on the second anniversary of the rape. He remains the only non-therapist to have responded with appropriate anger on my behalf. But my favorite poor response came from the man I was dating, who ironically had the most positive impact on my healing post-rape. Whenever will you get over it? Then he ghosted me. When will I get over it? Um, when I meet a man who I could talk to, who does not try to fix me, but will sit with my emotions when they come up. When I'm with a man who offers safety in relationship, and that means physical, sexual, mental, and emotional. Men, women, and emotions. I've learned that men aren't good with emotion, generally, until they get angry. Neither are women for that matter. Many of us struggle with accessing our emotions as we have been shamed by a society that tells us expressing ourselves makes us crazy, when in fact we only become crazy after we've been shut down repeatedly from expressing emotions that are often reasonable responses to unreasonable circumstances. And then it all degrades rapidly since once a, fi a woman finally accesses her emotion, and frankly, most women need to access more anger, men can become overwhelmed and then they erupt. But when men erupt, it is scarier, especially for a woman who has experienced violence at the hands of a man. In that moment of his anger, she might not be able to speak or breathe. She might shake, she might cry. She might express a range of traumatic responses as the man stands there dumbfounded, wondering why she is so emotional, why she just can't get it together. Because for him, being angry works. It's how he expresses his manhood, his strength. He doesn't want to seem weak or soft, even with a woman he likes or loves. And then he blames the woman for making a big deal out of nothing. It's not nothing. That's the point. A woman needs to know she is safe with a man, especially when she's been the victim of intimate partner violence. When a man becomes angry and loud, she doesn't feel safe. By then, the scene has escalated and it's too late. They go to their corners, the woman unsure and scared, and the man frustrated and feeling blamed for something he didn't cause in the first place, but ended up making worse due to, due to his lack of knowledge or insensitivity and perhaps his own emerging shame. The facts. One in six women have had the experience of attempted or completed rape. Over 98% of perpetrators are men. These are statistics. They are not made up. These are the inconvenient truths that society has a hard time grasping, is in denial of, and wants survivors to sweep under the rug. I did. Sure I did. Who wants to talk about rape? I don't. Rape only happens to other women, not me. It happens to weak women, women who don't know what they're doing. Wait a second, who actually knows what they're doing? If people knew what they were doing, there would not be so many books on relationships and sex and attachment styles. There wouldn't be millions of followers for Insta therapists. There would not be magazines selling sex and love on their front covers for decades. There wouldn't be so many women saying, hashtag me too. 
Enough people are struggling to figure out the battle of the sexes, which shouldn't be a battle against each other, but should be against the harmful cultural myths keeping us apart and breeding ongoing violence within our relationships. For sure, some couples know what they're doing. Perhaps they are the blessed ones who grew up with emotionally available parents and found each other, so they have securely attached relationships. Or they are blessed by being hard workers who dealt with their stuff, who worked together to communicate because they love each other, even if they started out with insecure attachment styles and made their way to secure. I do acknowledge that. But many don't. And it harms women who have been sexually assaulted to have it pointed out that they should have been stronger, should have known better, that they should get over it, as if we can control our damaged nervous systems in the wake of extreme violence. We are not weak for our responses. We are strong for having survived. Pushing it all down. As a clinical counselor, I have unique insight into people's psyches, and I've noticed certain themes come up repeatedly. One is the theme of shutting down with male clients. There's a fear or unwillingness to feel emotions, and if they choose to continue with therapy, the pervading view is to rip this thing open and fix it. And that leads to the other theme I see, the violence men have towards themselves and their own emotional experience. The choices for men seems to be these, shut it down, push it down, don't feel it, and use whatever tactics help to distract, overwork, alcohol, sex, women, gaming, hobbies, among other things. Or when it gets too painful or too much or someone they don't want to lose says it's damaging their relationship or they've reached the end of their rope, seek help. This is a cultural issue. This is a result of patriarchal views that tell men they are not allowed to feel weak emotions like fear and sadness and hurt. But they are allowed anger. That's manly. When men cannot handle softer, weaker feelings, whether coming from inside themselves or from a woman they love, their reaction is often anger, then shutdown. For women who feel women who are biologically programmed to create relationship and bond with others, who seek unity, the shutdown hurts. When women's weak emotions of hurt or fear are dismissed by men who have not addressed the harm of the patriarchy within themselves, we are rejected for the very nature that makes men love us in the first place, our emotional warmth. If a man has not looked at the harm done to him through his societal conditioning, to have compassion for himself, to allow himself his weak feelings, how can he support the woman in his life when she expresses the very emotions he denies in himself? Essentially, he cannot. Women need safety from the men in our lives. Women who have been raped are especially attuned to the slightest unprocessed or unhinged anger that lurks beneath a man's charming exterior. We need safety because being safe was taken from us. Our entire self, our physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual self was destroyed by a man's rage. And then this self 
was consciously rebuilt through painstaking effort by us, the women, the victims, often alone by ourselves through deep reflection, maybe the support of a therapist, maybe helpful friends, and heaps of self-compassion and self-forgiveness in a world that continues to blame us for it even happening in the first place. And then this same world and the men who inhabit it are upset when we remind them of it. How do we know we can trust you when you turn away and refuse to act like you're a safe person to be around? A life test to consider. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. Attributed to Viktor Frankl. Whenever you find yourself reacting with anger at your partner, which is the stimulus, take a moment to pause. Say, go for a walk, take space. And when you're ready with the course of action that feels most beneficial for both of you, return to your partner, respond. If you just react with the first thing that comes to mind, you can hurt. If you react and pause by going away and not returning to the conversation to the person you hurt, you hurt them almost definitely. But if you return after thoughtful consideration and respond, there can be an addition to the prescription laid out by Frankel. Repair. If the couple returns together and they try to listen to each other's responses, there can be repair to the relationship. And it is in repair that healing can come about for a couple and a renewal of their love. The formula is when you react, take a pause, then decide on your response and bring repair. Dealing with trauma recovery for the survivor, as well as for the man loving her, is challenging. After all, no good, if flawed man wants to worry that you'll think he's violent. He doesn't want any association to a prior man's terrible act. So he doesn't want to deal with it and instead gets angry and pushes her away. But it is not the way forward. Allowing ourselves to feel the full range of emotion and learn to communicate effectively is the way. As long as men are attracted to women and vice versa, we need a way to allow both the freedom to be who we are. We also need to accept that sexual violence is a real factor in many women's past relationships. Men don't need to be perfectly sensitive and always get it right. No need to feel like a failure if they make a mistake. But to have a healthy relationship with a woman, they do need to attune to her so she can feel safe. Men, you are allowed the full range of your feelings from hurt to grief to anger to, yes, joy too. <laughs> Say that three times. Men, you are responsible for how your actions affect the women in your lives. Women, it is okay for you to feel. Women, it is okay for you to prioritize your safety and that includes who you decide to let into your life. And sisters in healing, survivors, you are entitled to feel safe in your relationships. Wouldn't it be nice to know, deep in our hearts and bodies, that when we are with a man, it is safe here?
and men loving women who have been harmed? Don't you want to help her feel safe? To all of us, men and women harmed by a patriarchal structure pitting us against one another, remember how we all started. And here is a beautiful picture of two young toddlers, a boy and a girl holding hands. They're standing on a stone road and the sun is in the backdrop and they are smiling and peaceful. And my final line is, aren't we all beautiful and worthy of love? Thank you for listening. And now I will go over some footnotes that are in this piece for those of you who are listening without the, um, the essay in front of you. We go back to the very beginning where I use the term tacit agreement. We're talking about how men don't want to associate themselves with a hint of violence and that there's a tacit agreement that there's only a few bad apples. And so uh, this is, let's see, from Collins Dictionary, I have the definition of tacit agreement. If you refer to someone's tacit agreement or approval, you mean they are agreeing to something or approving it without actually saying so often because they are unwilling to admit to doing so. So that tells you there's a bit of resistance, but there's some unspoken agreement. Um, my second footnote, I snuck something in there and I was wondering if you caught it. So I say, um, again, it's about the bad apples who hide in bushes and attack unsuspecting women who have the audacity to walk alone at night. So did you catch that? That's another example of how it's the woman's fault. Uh, the third footnote um, talks about patriarchal structures. So I found an interview um, with Terry Riel. It's in Forbes magazine from 2018. Uh, Terry Riel uh, is an author and couples counselor. And he, in the article, they talk about the patriarchy. So what Terry Riel says is the patriarchy is a rigid dichotomy. And I quote, traditionally, men are supposed to be strong and feel independent, unemotional, logical, and competent. Women are supposed to be expressive, nurturant, weak, and dependent. One of the things I say about those traditional gender roles is they don't make anybody happy and they don't make for intimacy, end quote. And I really like that because it does really describe kind of the rules for being a man and the rules for being a woman and making it sound like these are the only ones we get. And, and yet we are all human beings. We all have emotion, man or woman. And um, I think he makes a good point that, you know, adhering too much to that and not allowing people to feel the full uh, range of their emotional expression is, is harmful and doesn't uh, encourage intimacy. Uh, my fourth footnote is I reference how uh, I told my ex-husband that I was raped and I told him on the second anniversary of the incident and I just want to say that I will not be discussing my ex-husband out of respect for him and his privacy. 
Uh, my fifth footnote refers to this word that men like to throw at women, crazy, right? Crazy is a horrible put down men use to dismiss and disparage women. Often a man using this word succeeds in making a woman stop herself from expressing her emotions and thoughts just so she will not be associated with the label. So can we please just get rid of that word? Okay, like if you wanna say a hamburger is crazy good, use it there. But please don't describe a woman expressing her emotions as crazy. Let's, let's retire that. Uh, my sixth footnote uh, talks about how if a man gets really angry and a woman has this response, she either you know, starts crying or she can't speak or she can't breathe or starts having you know, these traumatic responses. So these are actually common PTS symptoms, so post-traumatic stress responses and I'm intentional in not using disorder like PTSD right because when you've been harmed in a violent way when you're face to face with someone who is very angry and yelling and raising their voice having these responses makes sense because it's kind of bringing you back to that time when someone was violent with you so just want to point out that if you see a woman um, having these responses she may be having a post-traumatic response. Uh, the seventh footnote is, let's see, I have to go back. I quote an article from The Guardian. Okay, so this is back in the essay when I uh, talk about a woman needs to know she is safe with a man, especially when she's been the victim of intimate partner violence. So recently there was an article in The Guardian and it cited UN research on data from 2021 on femicide. And so they, this is, I quote, a report published on Wednesday showed that 45,000 women and girls, more than half, which is 56% of the 81,100 murdered last year worldwide, were killed by their husband, partner, or other relative. So out of all these murders of a woman, over half were by someone she was intimately connected with. I think that's really important to note and that intimate partner violence is a real issue for many women throughout the world. Uh, footnote number eight is another statistic, and this is from Rain. One out of every six American wo women has been the victim of an attempted or completed rape in her lifetime. 14.8% uh, completed, 2.8% attempted. So for you listeners, wherever you are right now, if you're on the bus listening or you're in your car, hopefully you're hands-free, uh, on a train, walking around, um, in an area where there's lots of people. Say you look around and there's like 20 people around you or 50 people around you. Think about that. One in six. You're probably looking at someone who has experienced sexual violence. I think it's really important to know that, you know, people you know have likely experienced it. Uh, footnote number nine is from the National Intimate Partner and Sexual Violence Survey. And I quote, most perpetrators of all forms of sexual violence against women were male. 
For female rape victims, 98.1% reported only male perpetrators. Additionally, 92.5% of female victims of sexual violence other than rape reported only male perpetrators, end quote. So yeah, I mean, it's not all men, of course, but most of the perpetrators are men and we need to accept that this is a fact. And so then it makes sense that women who have experienced violence at the hands of a man might be more afraid in the presence of a man until she knows she can trust him. Uh, number 10, uh, I just say really attachment theory in a nutshell. So um, I reference people who have healthy partnerships, couples who get along well and are happy, um, saying that they likely have a secure uh, relationship attachment style. So um, basically attachment theory um, says that you can have two different attachment styles, secure or insecure. So with secure, it's like people know how to kind of communicate and get through conflict and feel pretty comfortable and, and trustworthy within the relationship. For insecure attachment, um, there are three different uh, categories. One is anxious, one is avoidant, and one is disorganized. And um, there are various um, combinations with all of those. Um, but people who have more the insecure attachment style sometimes often really do struggle with communication and, and being able to make a partnership work. Uh, for more, uh, I do have a link in the newsletter, in the essay version, I link to, I think this is Mind Body Green, and it's nice. It, it gives the definition and the four different attachment styles. Uh, it, it was, um, yeah, it's pretty recent where they updated it in October of 2022. So if you want to read more, go to my essay and then you can click on the link. Um, Footnote number 11 has to do with trauma and the trauma response. So this is about, let's see, right. So going back to women who have been sexually assaulted and are told that they should have been stronger, should have known better, that they should just get over it. And I point out, as if we can control our damaged nervous systems in the wake of extreme violence. And, and I would argue that, I mean, we can work on it um, through our own healing processes, through doing our own personal work, and we heal it in relationship. So having a safe, trusted partner who can attune to us is, is a way of healing as well. We, we can't only heal alone, we need to heal in relationship as well. So I have a quote um, from, oh, where's that from? It's from a help guide. It's called Recovering from Rape and Sexual Trauma. So the link again is in my newsletter, but this is what they say. Um, for a, a survivor, the world, so I quote, the world doesn't feel like a safe place anymore. You no longer trust others. You don't even trust yourself. You may question your judgment, your self-worth, and even your sanity, end quote. Yeah, and I think that's really true. It's really hard to know who to trust anymore because, you know, in the past, we trusted someone who ended up being really untrustworthy. And so, like, how do you go on trusting? How do you know how to build trust in relationship? How do you know that the man you're dating right now 
is someone you can trust? These are real questions for someone in recovery from sexual violence. Um, the 12th footnote is about the distractions that men often have when they don't want to deal with their feelings. And I include kind of a non-comprehensive list, but it includes alcohol, sex, women, gaming, hobbies, you know, anything to like push it down and not feel it. So get distracted. And, and I have a link here to an article that discusses destructive coping strategies. So there's nothing wrong with distracting ourselves, letting ourselves have fun and being playful. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is a point where it can become destructive. So again, in the newsletter, I have a link. Um, the 13th footnote is, I, I reference the theory of the self. So this was uh, a theory I learned in my first year of my graduate training program to become a counselor. And um, it's about the different layers of the self. So we are a body, and we have emotions, and we have cognitions, which is our thinking part. And then if you are, if you believe this, uh, a spiritual self. So all these are layered within the self. And when we are harmed in such a, a violent activity or crime as rape, it does affect all those levels. Uh, my 14th footnote is about healing, that often the survivor is healing by themselves. I mean, they may have the support of a therapist and my little footnote just points out that if you can afford it or you're near a rape crisis center and you can be seen quickly because even if you have one nearby you may be put on a wait list and and you may have to wait a long time so this is a a point of privilege right if you can get help uh my 15th footnote talks about maybe having friends who support you and i just want to say that friends aren't always there even if your friends are social workers, psychologists, and counselors. Just saying. Um, 16th footnote, we're almost at the end of the footnotes here. <laughs> 16th, um, while you'll find this quote, okay, that's the quote on the stimulus and response, right? So like having a response to a stimulus and then taking a pause and then you know, taking a break and then coming back and responding. So that quote has been attributed to Viktor Frankl all over the internet, but a search revealed that it may have originated from existential therapist Rollo May via Stephen Covey. Uh, and my 17th and final footnote is, again, referencing back to Terry Rael and that article in Forbes. He talks about, women, about men having to learn empathy. And this is what he says, and I quote, when I counsel men, I advise them that before you speak to a woman, stop and think about what it's going to feel like to them. I call that remedial empathy. Stop and think about what this is going to feel like and ask yourself, is this respectful or is it disrespe disrespectful? If you're not clear, ask. So that's the end of the footnotes. Uh, I hope you found them informative. I hope you enjoyed my piece. Um, it's a big one. Um, there's lots to talk about. I would love to hear comments. And if you are a subscriber of mine on Substack, on my Substack newsletter, Princess and the Peace Survivor Edition, you can always drop me an email or write a comment there or write a comment here on uh, whatever platform you're listening to this podcast. I do thank you for being here. I would love it if you would become a subscriber of mine. Um, thank you again for listening. And um, stay tuned for another episode of Princess and the Pea Survivor Edition.